is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today's going to be a tough one, so I'm just going to go ahead and give you that up front. It's called The Devil and the Catholic Church, so a lot of you know where this is going to go immediately, but we are going to be discussing the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report that was released on July 27th of 2018. Basically, this was a 1,400-page report that was created after an 18-month investigation, and it's really the most comprehensive sex abuse investigation in the history of the United States, and, and certainly within the church, the Catholic Church. And so this was investigating child sexual abuse in six dioceses over 70 years. Okay, so these are six dioceses within the Catholic Church over 70 years, and they were in the following Pennsylvania cities. So Allentown, Erie, Greensburg, Harrisburg, Pittsburgh, and Scranton. And so what this investigation sound and what was found in the report is that there were 301 abusive priests that they could identify. Okay. And more than a thousand identifiable victims. Now here's the important thing to hear about that. So you hear about the 300 priests, 301 priests sounds terrible because it is. And then you're thinking about the thousand victims. Those are just the ones that were identified. That is certainly not the actual number. We can assume that it's many, many thousands, if not tens of thousands of more people that were abused. So the report also goes into the massive cover-ups because they were common. Obviously, we've heard that before. And the report showed that the church leaders often protected the abusive priests while, you know, all but ignoring the victims. That, That was just a readily available and apparent thing that was going on quite often. And so many of these priests were actually just kind of shuffled around, you know, from one diocese to another or, you know, one job to another. Uh, And it was just basically when the heat got got to them a little bit, they would just move them around. And so here's here's the funny thing. Some of the priests even received promotions by the Vatican after it was found out that they had been abusing children. I'll say that again in case you didn't get it. Some of the priests even received promotions. Promotions by the governing body of the Catholic Church after it was found out that they were abusing children that were part of their flock. Okay? I mean, I mean, this news has been everywhere. So unless you've been under a rock, you've heard about the, the fact that this report has been out there. And when you, if you watch like, you know, local news, or if you watch some of the national news or some of the mainstream media, you've gotten some of the reports. But guys, we're going to get into what actually happened. And we're going to do that right now. So here's a, a parental advisory warning. Here, here's just a, a discretionary warning for you. If you are listening to this with children, I, I would highly, highly suggest that you either skip forward a bit or pause this and listen to it later because this is going to be incredibly, incredibly graphic. I'm not holding back even a little bit. So again, do what you need to do at this point. If you have small children that, you know, you don't want to have to explain some new words to them here in a second, because I'm about to give you some descriptions of some of the stories that actually happened in this, uh, in these six dioceses. Okay. So here we go. A priest, uh, sodomized a boy with a seven inch long crucifix. So let's let that just hang in the air for a second. It doesn't get any better. A priest used holy water to rinse out the mouth of a nine-year-old boy after he forced the boy to give him oral sex. He wanted to make it seem like it was part of some sort of a religious ritual. Okay? A priest raped a seven-year-old girl while visiting her in the hospital after she got her tonsils removed. 
There was a priest that would force little boys to take their pants off and sit down, and he would fondle their genitals while he would jerk off. A group of priests would give certain boys, this is crazy, he would give certain boys gold cross necklaces to wear. So these were meant as a symbol to other abusive priests in the group. I guess they had like a little club, a little rape club, that that particular boy had been quote unquote groomed for additional abuse. That they had basically been desensitized to sexual abuse and thus would be more compliant to further abuse. There was one priest that, you know, when asked why he didn't abuse little girls and only abuse little boys, he responded matter of factly to the question, well, they don't have a penis. One boy was raped by a priest so violently from the ages of 13 to 15 that it caused severe spinal injuries. Think about what you would have to do to somebody in a sexual act to cause that. This boy became addicted to pain pills as a teenager, and as a result, uh, you know, he eventually died of an overdose from pain pills. There was another priest that raped a little girl, got her pregnant, and then arranged for her to get an abortion. There was another priest that raped a young boy and then forced the boy to do confession with him. He forced the boy to confess his sexual sins to him, the guy that raped him. And the last one I'll go into here is one victim was forced to pose naked as Christ on the cross while the priests photographed him. And these photos were obviously saved as keepsakes uh, for these bastards. And they kind of shared it around with a lot of their other child pornography that they had taken. So guys, that's a sampling, just a sampling of what we know that happened. Just think about that. I know there's a lot of dads listening to this right now, and I hope you're as pissed off as I am right now. And, And so here's the thing, guys, is perhaps the most unfortunate news in this report, and I absolutely mean this, and I will never regret saying it, probably the most unfortunate news in this report is that most of the 301 priests named in this report are already dead. They're already dead. I mean, this report, again, was over 70 years, but this was essentially just a historical record of crap that went down back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So most of these bastards are already dead. And here's the thing, many of the priests that are still alive, this will make your blood boil, they will easily get away with what they've done even after this report came out because the statute of limitations has passed in their cases. So there will be no justice on this earth for those people that were abused by these by these so-called priests. And to be honest with you guys, I would have liked to see these guys suffer for what they did. I mean, absolutely. Because here's the thing, guys, when I think about child rapists and I think about what should happen to them on this earth, again, I'm not taking the judgment seat of God here, so don't misunderstand me. I think there are only three outcomes that I'm comfortable with for a child rapist. The first is castration. The second is death. And the third is castration and then death. That's exactly what those guys deserve. But I mean, here's the thing, guys, the scariest reality of this report is this was one report investigating only six dioceses. That's it. And it was only oh over like a certain period of time. I mean I mean guys, just think about that. That's horrifying. 
Because there are currently reports surfacing of abuse in Chile, in France, in Australia, in some other places where the Catholic Church is in the world. I mean, this was supposed to have been handled, remember? I mean, just think back for a lot of you guys. Think back about the outrage that came out in 2002. That's when the first, you know, Catholic sex abuse scandal came down. You know, in 2002, that's when the Boston Globe published an investigative report that led to five Roman Catholic priests being prosecuted for sexual abuse. Like sexual abuse of children. Like, remember that that was supposed to take care of everything? But, but here we are in 2018, and it's pretty much the same story in Pennsylvania. It's, you know, uh, rampant abuse, rampant and regular cover-up, shuffling the priests around from one priesthood to another, and, and just rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. I mean, guys, if you haven't seen the movie Spotlight from 2015, I would certainly suggest you do that. Again, there are elements of it that are Hollywood eyes. And of course, it's, you know, a movie made by a bunch of people on the left and acted by a bunch of people that are on the political left. But it kind of gives you a good idea of what happened in 2002. I mean, and we can assume that this is still happening, right? And so here's the thing, you know, I just picked on the on the left, the political left. So we should talk about that a little bit. So some people on the political left are excited about this. Now, now don't misunderstand me. I'm not going to say that they are excited that these children were abused. I don't think that anyone in their right mind would say that. But I think they're glad that they have the low-hanging fruit. That's that's an easy target right now. Because to be honest, a lot of people on the political left or the or the the secularists or the humanists or whatever you want to call them or however you want to categorize them, they look for any news, like any news whatsoever that will make Christianity look bad. Like any news whatsoever. So this is like a field day. It's like, great. Like, let's take even more of, of the moral high ground away from them. Now, this is the same group of people that completely ignores Islam, interestingly enough. Like, they don't want to talk about the things that is done within Islam and the things that are actually in the Quran and the fact that ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Boko Haram and, and groups like them are actually just doing exactly what the Quran says. They don't want to talk about that, but, but they want to talk about this. And I'm not saying they should talk about one as opposed to the other. I'm saying they should talk about both, right? I mean, just just think about this. Like, the left has loved to use this scandal as a club to beat people over the head with. I mean, I remember thinking back, and remember I did a podcast, a past podcast episode, about Ireland voting to uh, allow murder in the womb, voting to allow abortion in Ireland, of all places, Right? The thing that was so interesting here is how silent, I said this in the podcast, how silent the Catholic Church was during all of this. The Catholic Church in Ireland, you know, they they just, they, they didn't have anything to say. And the thing that was clear is because they were shunned into silence. Because anytime they would start to rise up and defend the lives of the unborn and the rights of the unborn, they would just be shut down like, Oh, uh, really? You want us to take something from, from y'all's book? Aren't y'all the rapists? Aren't you the guys that, you know, allowed for children to be abused, but all of a sudden you care about them since they're in the womb? Sorry, not really going to take that from you guys. And can you blame them? I mean, if I was on the political left, if I was a secularist, secularist, or if I thought that, you know, I was just a descendant of fish and then monkeys and then whatever else these people believe, that's exactly what I would do. Are you really going to give me a moral lesson right now? Where's your authority? Because you forfeited that the moment that you allowed this to continue happening. But it's just so interesting because look at the political left. They didn't cover Hollywood sex abuse until they had to. Until all the Harvey Weinstein stuff came out, right? 
I mean, did we not know the casting couch was a real thing? Did we not know that that, that was going on all the time and everywhere within Hollywood? Did we not know that it's, it's currently still happening? But all of a sudden, you know, a hashtag shows up on Twitter and, you know, we have to talk about it. Sorry, man. I mean, like, that's the thing is they're going to use this as a club and I understand why they're doing that. But sorry, you're not going to give me a lesson in morality here when y'all have selectively covered this over the past. So let's let's get out of the political realm here. But the, the thing that I really think that we need to dig into and really need to think about so that we can come up with some form of action is what is the cause of this? You know, what could be causing this within the Catholic Church? And, and so here's the thing, you know, we, there's been plenty of people that have offered up solutions and opinions and different things. You know, some will say that the celibacy of the clergy or uh, the, pre- the prevalence of homosexual clergy, you know, they'll say something like that. And, and here's the thing. I mean, a lot of people, again, we're not going to get into a Catholic Protestant debate here. I don't need anyone from... Anyway, I'll leave that alone. But, but basically, we don't need to get into that here. That I, I obviously think, as a Protestant myself, that there are massive, massive theological issues within the Catholic Church. But I think the celibacy thing maybe has, has some, some standing. I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. Cardinal Raymond Burke, he called for Pope Francis to clean up the homosexual culture in the church. So people inside the church think it might be a problem of prevalence of homosexual uh, clergy, right? Then you have John Jay, uh, you know, in his criminal justice report, he pointed out that, uh, you know, basically counteracting the the homosexual culture argument, he basically said that there's no causative relationship between the celibacy or homosexuality and basically the sexual victimization of the children in the Catholic Church. I guess he did a fairly big study on that. I I got the the link that I'm going to post at the end of this in the show notes. But here's the other thing, guys, is... From 1950 to 2002, 81% of the victims were teenage boys. I mean, overwhelmingly, the majority of the victims were male. Right? I mean, and most of those victims were post-pubescent boys. I mean, here's the thing about a pedophilia, and, you know, just so we know that we have our definition straight, a, ped- a pedophile is someone that preys sexually on children of you know, of a certain age, and they essentially give no preference to gender. That is categorically what a pedophile is. And so if there is this prevalence of homosexuality within the clergy, it would make sense that 81% of the victims are teenage boys. So there's something to be talked about there. And I think we should have that discussion. I mean, I mean, some other people, and they say this ignorantly, some will say this: this is a uniquely Catholic problem which I think is so short-sighted. Because here's the thing, research would suggest that priests commit no more abuse than other males. Think about that. So think about the Boy Scouts, think about summer camp, think about sports teams, think about, you know, uh, Protestant churches. Think about them all. You know, a lot of these groups are trying to get ahead of this, right? Now, I think I even saw a report where, you know, some certain, maybe it was a Southern Baptist convention or something like that. They're trying to get on the other side of this because they sense that they're having the same problem within their flocks as well. So this is not a uniquely Catholic problem and saying so is pretty ridiculous. I mean, then you have other people that just take it one step further and they, they just say it's a religious problem. It's a problem within religions. But then again, there's research that would suggest that sexual abuse is more prevalent outside of a religious setting like a church or a synagogue, as opposed to inside of it. So, I mean, that that's the crazy thing. It's like, what do we do with all this information? It's just kind of floating around, like, but what, 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 what do we do with it? It's frustrating. It's, it's discombobulating, you know what I mean? 
But here's the thing that as I'm going through and I've had kind of a week to digest this because I would have talked about this last week, but the report came out like the day before and I didn't have time to really prepare my thoughts on it. So I've had about a week to think about it. And there's a lot of things I feel like people get wrong when trying to digest this news. And I don't really understand why. So I just kind of want to talk about it openly here. Um, I guess the first thing I notice is they ask pretty stupid questions. Like, how could this happen again? And I'm like, the operative word there is again? What do you mean? How could this happen again? It never stopped. Clearly. Like at what point did it stop? I literally think CNN asked that. I don't know if it was like one of their, uh, one of their things on the website or if it was, uh, something they did on one of the television shows, but they're like, how could this happen again? I thought we had fixed it. Fixed what? Sin? Sexual abuse? Like lust? What are you, what are you talking about? Like what a stupid thing to say. Oh, and then the other thing, which we've already talked about, they assume it's just a Catholic problem. Here's something that'll really jack you up. The United States Department of Education, right? They found that physical sexual abuse of students in schools is likely more than 100 times the abuse by priests. I mean, like, what do you say to that? 100 times the abuse by priests? Let's say they're half wrong. I mean, they're the government, so they don't do very many things well. So let's say they're half off their rocker. Then it's 50 times the abuse by priests. That's crazy. Oh, and then the other part of this is I've heard people say, you know, they assume that Pope Francis is the man to fix this. Really? Pope Francis? The dude's a social justice warrior that wears a funny hat. Like, this is a guy that won't definitively condemn homosexuality. He, he just won't come out and condemn what it says in scripture, what Jesus maintains about sexual purity. This is a guy who just recently basically came out and said that, that the Catholic church was going to eradicate the death penalty, like completely eradicate it, giving no credence or reflection on Genesis nine, six, which if you're not sure what that says, it's this, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed for in the image of God, he made man, Right. That, that's where we get the idea for the death penalty. That's why you can be anti-abortion and be pro-capital punishment. That's why you can do those things. I mean, here's the thing. A lot of people look at Pope Francis as the guy who's like modernizing the Catholic Church as if the, the Catholic Church or any sect of Christianity needed modernization. But I mean, the thing was, is the Catholic Church thought that he was the guy, right? He was going to be the guy to take us into the new, the, the new areas we needed to go into, but they ended up just selecting a paper tiger. Pope Francis isn't going to do anything about this. He's going to consult with his PR team and his lawyers and, and all these different people, and he's just going to do the same crap everyone else does. You know, sit around and act like they're busy without actually doing anything. So, so that's, all, that's all fine and good, right? So I've uh, basically told y'all all of the horrific details of some of the things that have happened. And again, those are just the things we know about. So let's not use our imaginations uh, and waste time with that. But we can assume things commensurate to that or worse than that actually happened. But then we got to ask ourselves a question, guys. And you know, I was going there. What is to be done about it? You know, I'm not the type of guy that's just going to oppose something. I want to propose something and I'm not just going to describe something. I want to be able to be, to be actionable in one way or another. And so the first thing I think that can be done is to really call it what it is. 
know, we have we have all these secular journalists and people that are they're trying to find the words for it. They're trying to not use their brains, which have been wired for Judeo-Christian thought and morality to basically call this something. But guys, it's pure evil. Right. And even secularists, secularists, even though they don't have a concept, a, a biological scientific concept for what evil is, it's just they know it when they see it. But let's call evil what it is. Evil comes from the devil. This is satanic. That's exactly where this is coming from. The devil has a foothold currently in the Catholic Church. And again, I'm not just picking on Catholics. The devil has a foothold in the heart of man. We know that to be true. This is just one of the ways that it's manifesting itself. This is just the easiest example to talk about right now is the Catholic Church. So enough with the euphemisms. Enough with, oh, it's evil or it's bad or it's abhorrent, it's horrific or it's tragic. It's any of those things. Yeah, all those things apply. But let's talk about what it actually is. It's satanic. It's evil. That's what this is. It comes from the pit of hell. And so the the second thing that I think that is to be done is we need to get the death penalty for rape and child sexual abuse first time. So first time offenders for rape and child sexual abuse, they get the death penalty. Boom. Done. Does that sound a little bit extreme? It's not extreme. It's appropriate. They should die for doing that. There are currently only six states that have laws for this, by the way. I know some of you were immediately wondering that. So it's Texas, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Montana, Louisiana, and Georgia. But here's the thing about these laws, guys, is they're incredibly weak. Incredibly weak. So I want to give you a summary of what the laws are on the books in these states. So let's start with the state of Texas. So basically, the second conviction for rape of a child under 14. That's the standard. The second conviction for rape of a child under 14. The first offense could have occurred prior to the law's passage. Right? So they basically put a loophole in the language of the policy. This was enacted in 2007. So far, they've had zero people sentenced. And, of course, zero people have been executed. So my home state, state of Oklahoma, this is what they say. The rape or forcible sodomy of a victim under 14, where the defendant had a prior conviction of sexual abuse of a person under 14. This was enacted in 2006. Zero people have been sentenced to this, and there have been zero executions. South Carolina. Repeat offenders of criminal sexual conduct with a minor under 11. 2006 was when it was enacted. Zero people sentenced. Zero people executed. Montana. Second conviction for sexual intercourse without consent accompanied by serious bodily injury. This was enacted in 1997. Zero people have been sentenced to this and zero have been executed. Louisiana. Aggravated rape of a child under 13. 1995. Two people have been sentenced to death, but zero have been executed. And finally, Georgia. Carnal knowledge of a female who is less than 10 uh, presumes force. So that was enacted in 1999. Zero death sentences, zero executions. So six states, two death sentences, zero executions. And can we just call this language super weak? I mean, really? So we're going to give a guy a strike? Or gal? We're going to give him a strike here? All right, so you can, you know, Oklahoma, let's pick on my home state. You can rape and forcibly sodomize somebody under the age of 14. But as long as you haven't done it before, you're fine. As long as you haven't been convicted before, let's be clear about that. If you haven't been convicted of sexually abusing someone under the age of 14, you're okay. We're going to give you one strike. We'll give you a redo. We'll give you a do-over. 
I mean, why don't we just make that the same statue with murder? You murder a guy, it's like, ah, that was pretty bad. We're not big fans of murder here in the great state of Oklahoma or Texas or South Carolina or Montana or Louisiana or Georgia. But hey, you know what? We're going to give you a mulligan. Really? Come on. Like, what, what would it have to take to get the death penalty for rape and child sexual abuse for first-time offenders? Like, talk to your congresspeople. Talk to your senators. This is ridiculous. So, so a third thing that I wanted to kind of talk about is, you know, and I'm taking this from Matt Walsh over at the Daily Wire, but there must be a purge inside the Catholic Church. There has to be. And it's got to be painful. And I'm not going to make Matt Walsh's points for him. This is a guy that's obviously on the political right, if you know who Matt Walsh is. Uh, he was formerly with The Blaze and now with The Daily Wire. But this is a current you know, and practicing Catholic. And so he has his own unique uh, set of ideas and ways that he wants to see this handled. And so I'm going to put his article here at the end of this podcast in the show notes. So make sure that you go and get his summary there. I won't sit here and read it to you. Now, the fourth thing I wanted to think, uh, I want us to think through is that the fight you know, to, to correct this must occur from within. So, so essentially guys, this is up to the members of the Catholic church here. Like this is up to all of the super dedicated members of the church. This is up to the lay Catholics, like those types of people, but also it's up to the other priests, you know, presumably, obviously there are priests that are not abusing boys and girls. We need to hear from them. They need to step it up. They need to get loud. They need to talk about this. But then they also need to take action. But I think starting with words is pretty important. Um, Guys, right before I uh, started recording this podcast, a good buddy of mine here in uh, the city I live in, Edmond, Oklahoma, uh, he's Catholic. He sent me... um, he sent me this information. He basically sent me the comments by a local priest here. His name's Father Hamilton, and he's of uh, St. Monica's here in Edmond, Oklahoma. Um, but he made some comments about that. And, and I have the entire audio, again, in the show notes. It's going to be the last link I provide. But around the 15-minute mark or so, 15 or 16 minutes in, I'm not quite sure, but right around that time, he, he's talking about the fifth of five elements that he's describing about what the Catholic Church can do. And to be honest with you, a lot of the commentary leading up to this fifth one, I was fairly impressed by the savagery and forwardness and forthrightness of the language that this guy used. But again, this is a ministry that that is for men. It's for Christian men and, you know, for men that tend to be a little bit rougher around the edges. And so I think this last, this fifth of five things that he talked about is is incredibly important. So, you know, I took the time to kind of transcribe some of the things that he said because I want you to hear it when he says it, and I, I want to read it to you now so so that it can kind of start to sink in even before you do that. So here is a little excerpt from the speech that he gave here recently. The final element I will raise is related to how we explain the horrific crime and sin of abuse, as well as the rage-inducing failed leadership and cover-up among bishops, is what I will call a crisis of weak masculinity, carrying with it the loss of the ability to be fatherly. In order to appreciate the God-given qualities of femininity that are complementary to God-given qualities of masculinity, our society has wrongly cast negative light on men and masculinity. To raise up femininity in women, which, to be clear, is a good thing to do, our society has wrongly cast aspersions upon the suppressed and suppressed masculinity in men. 
Watch how men are cast in entertainment and you will get a glimpse of this. The man is often the immature fool who pre- whose presence is barely needed for good, balanced family life. Our boys and young men are, as a group, increasingly adrift, locked in an alternate reality of excessive video gaming, and seemingly without clear purpose. In some organs of society, masculine traits are punished, and boys learn early that their natural qualities are less than desirable. And now we have reached a point where masculinity is referred to as toxic. I suspect that description is not very precise and is meant to make men self-conscious and soft. Our spiritual fathers are impacted by this cultural atmosphere, too. There have clearly been some sick men in the priesthood who never should have been there. But it is just as clear that in the upper ranks of bishops and cardinals, even if they themselves are not abusers, many likewise have no concept of fatherhood. Because they had it once, but those that covered up abuse clearly lost it. Listening to their corporate speak is all the evidence needed. A manly father doesn't need experts and lawyers and insurance companies to tell him how to act. The failed bishops speak like men who are not fathers because a father would be enraged and in deep pain for his children despicably harmed under his guard. Maybe some bishops have mustered that, but I would say most of the ones getting TV interviews certainly have not. So guys, uh, you don't really hear a lot about a lot like that from the pulpit. Not like that. And this guy starts, you know, first 30 seconds or so, he's basically giving himself a premia culpa. He's like, um, I, I'm going to kind of reserve the right to offend some of you today. It's not how he worded it, but that's essentially what he was saying. And man, I'm glad there are guys like that in my community. And, and again, this could just be for show. Uh, You know, but, you know, it seems sincere to me, knowing nothing about that guy, having never even known he existed before this exact moment before I record the podcast. But, man, I think that's 20 minutes of your life you should absolutely give uh, to this guy's point of view, because I think he nailed it. And the final thing, guys, uh, I want to talk about here for us as we consider what we can do is we can never be quiet. Never. I'm a big individual responsibility guy. And I know that there were plenty of people that knew or suspected that this stuff was going on in Pennsylvania. And there are certainly people that are suspecting it or know that it's going on in other areas of our society. And we've mentioned some of those areas already. I won't redo that. But if you know or you suspect and you don't step in, you are a coward. Don't be a coward in this moment. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, I think back to, you know, the Penn State, Penn State thing. So, right, you know, you had the Joe Pa, uh, the cover-up, and, you know, you had uh, Jerry Sandusky and all those different things. I remember hearing the story for the first time because, again, I was just kind of getting bits and pieces of the story. But I remember hearing about where this kid is kind of how he was described, this young guy. He's walking through the locker room, and he hears somebody in pain. Sounds like a little kid. And he walks over to the shower area. This was, you know, I believe it was on Penn State's campus. And Jerry Sandusky is butt raping a kid. Like th- this little kid, maybe nine, ten years old, something like that. He's butt raping the kid. And we hear about this guy that witnessed it, that he kind of he kind of freaked out. He he got frazzled and he took off and went and talked to his dad. And so 
him and his dad, they didn't go to the police. They went to Joe Paterno. And then, you know, the, the whole cover up and, and you know the story from there, or at least most of you will. But the thing about the story that was very conveniently left out, and I, I don't really know why, is that this was not just some like random teenager that happened upon this rape. This was like a guy in his early 20s, and the dude is gigantic. I remember when I first saw him on, on television, I was like, that's the guy? That's the freaking guy that saw an elderly man raping a boy? And his first thought was, I gotta tell daddy? That's the guy? I mean, guys, I want you to put yourselves in that situation. So I don't care what age you are. I don't care if you have any fighting experience. I don't care if you've never thrown a punch in your life. But if you walk into a locker room, you hear the sounds of a boy, a little boy being raped. And then you walk around the corner and you see it happening. What would you do? And don't kid yourself. What would you do? Because this isn't, you know, uh, time for all of us to, you know, have a dick measuring contest and be like, well, you know what? I'd do this and then I would do that. But, but guys, I got to be honest with you. Like, I think you would have to rip that person to pieces. Right? And to be honest with you, I don't know that there's a jury on the planet that would send you to jail for it. If you stop something so unbelievably abhorrent. But guys, to be honest, that's a decision most of you need to make now. And I talk about that all the time. You know, people, you talk about being a sheepdog or you talk about being prepared and, you know, being left of bang or whatever the terminology is that you use. You need to make that decision now that you will be a man of action if the time comes. And guys, I'm giving you an extreme example of actually happening upon an actual sexual assault while it's actually happening, right? But even if you just notice something that's a little bit off about a camp counselor, about a coach, about a neighbor, about a family member, you say something or you do something, or both. It's certainly not worth your time and not worth your effort to spend the rest of your life regretting that you didn't say something. I mean, just think about it. I would assume that most of the guys listening to this podcast would have no problems stepping in if they knew it was happening to their kid. We're all connected, guys. We all have the Imago Dei. We all have the image of God written on our souls. We all deserve to be defended. And if this is really as ubiquitous as it seems, all pockets of every religion and every school system and everything that these children are under such assault from these predators, we have to be vigilant. We have to have our eyes open. We need to pray to God to help keep our eyes open, to get our faces out of our phones and out of our laptops and to look around, see what's going on. You know, a lot of guys aren't intuitive. I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm terribly intuitive, but at the end of the day, you will notice something. And if someone comes to you, be ready to act. And, and guys, I know I'm getting pretty fired up in this podcast, but man, just even researching this subject matter was terrifying. It was ridiculous that this stuff could happen. But again, Satan's real. Satan does have power. It's only the power granted to him by God. But we're in a post-Genesis 3 world here, guys. It's certainly not going to get better from here. But we can make an impact. We can make a difference. And then we just have to pray for Jesus to come quick. 
All right, guys, before I let you out of here, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. And uh, as you know by now, we are a men's ministry, and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. And today, we're going to work on the mental side. And I'm just going to kind of give a little recap of a lot of things that we've already talked about in this podcast because I want to make sure you know what resources I put out there for you. So I have a link to the full length grand jury report. So that is the 1400 plus page report. I also have a truncated version of the grand jury report. It's something more like 800 pages. So if you really want to have a terrifying experience, go ahead and uh, read your way through that. I posted an article from the New York Times. It's uh, called The Catholic Church Sex Abuse Scandal, Seven Excerpts from the Grand Jury Report. So these are just seven of the the more horrifying excerpts from that that kind of give you an overall idea of what was being said and talked about in the report. Uh, I have the original Boston Globe report from 2002. It's called Church Allowed Abuse by Priests for Years. So this is what kind of got this all started back in 2002. I mentioned that John Jay report. And so I have the report that he put together on the clergy abuse inside the Catholic Church. So you can read that. It's uh, on psychology today. And then also I have uh, a a thing from Newsweek. It's called Priests Commits No More Abuse Than Other Males. So that kind of substantiates the claim that I I made earlier, which is that this is not a uniquely Catholic problem. Um, I have that... um, that article that I told you about from Matt Walsh, it's called There Must Be a Purge in the Catholic Church and It Must Be Brutal. So I put that there. And then also, and most importantly, if you don't take down any of that content, any of that content whatsoever, please take 20 minutes to listen to the comments from Father Hamilton here from St. Monica's in Edmond. Because that little excerpt that I read is, I mean, it's probably, it's certainly my favorite part from all of that, but there's a lot of gold in there. So guys, again, thank you for hanging with me on such a, such a tough subject today, but you know, hopefully we're all going to be better for it on the other end. All right. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please go ahead and leave us one. And also when you leave a five-star review, go ahead and write a few sentences to let us know what you like about the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2018 and the beginning of 2019. So if you want me to come speak to your group, to your church, to your team, to your company, to your whatever, be sure to hit me up at info at undaunted.life. Again, that's info at undaunted.life. Our website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song, King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of this are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.